Welcome to Enbus Talks, a podcast focusing on Norwegian business in Singapore and Asia, where we take the lead on innovation, new technology, and new solutions. Because Norway means business. With your host, Anders Hegre, Executive Director at the Norwegian Business Association in Singapore. Welcome to Enbus Talks. Uh, with, uh, we are focusing on innovation and new technology. Uh, today, we're focusing on digitalization within the maritime sector. We have with us Stan Lund from Singapore Ship Association, Magnus Lande, Head of Asian Pacific uh, in Veracity, and my co-host, as always, uh, Mr. Paul Kostman, Director of Innovation Norway. And uh, we will start off uh, with you, Stan. Uh, uh, you are uh, in, at the board of Singapore Ship Association, and besides of, um, uh, representing a wide spectrum of members, you are all also working to ensure the competitiveness of uh, Singapore within the maritime uh, uh, industry. And uh, we are four guys, three Norwegian and a Dane, uh, sitting here in Singapore, so Singapore must be doing something right. Uh, but still, there might be uh, some potential of doing even better at some fields. And uh, Paul, I know that you have prepared uh, um, a little question for, for Stan in this respect. Uh, there is obviously this um, Menon and uh, DNVGL report that comes out, I believe, every year, which is looking at the um, maritime capitals of the world. And um, I think Singapore has come out on top for the last three, four years. And, um, and there are, I think, five variables uh, that they measure. And shipping ports and, and logistics are typical areas where, where Singapore come out at the top. Uh, so I was just wondering what, what makes Singapore so special in these areas. Maybe you just quickly elaborate a little bit on that, uh, Stan. Yeah, I think there are a tremendous amount of factors. First of all, it's great to have the, the Menon report because it uh, it's uh, neutral and it gives us some semblance of a reality of, uh, of where one uh, ecosystem stands uh, next to, to the other. Um, what, what I really observe around Singapore is uh, almost a schizophrenic approach to always wanting to improve. And, and in this sense, schizophrenic is a positive word, if, if I may use it in that way. Uh, standing still, uh, resting on its laurels, being satisfied with where it is today is just not part of how the, the overall approach is here. Um, and I think the, the fact that we have a uh, incredibly engaged uh, actor in the maritime and port authorities that uh, is sort of that proverbial spider in the web that uh, calls on everyone to contribute to the community, uh, contributes extremely active itself, um, and, and not least uh, gets the, the best out of the many actors that constitutes uh, a maritime ecosystem is really what it's all about. But uh, can we improve? And, and the answer is obviously continuously yes. Uh, and, and one of the areas, if you look at the Menon report uh, that uh, does not have Singapore scoring uh, the highest uh, is technology. Um, so we don't really have any uh, leading technology companies in Singapore. 
Um, and we might have had an approach where we have not had sufficient focus on that. So what we, in our small way, have done within the Singapore Shipping Association is that uh, in the summer of last year, uh, we established a, a new committee uh, named the Digital Transformation Committee, and its remit is essentially to uh, see what it can do for its members to engage at a higher level of understanding of what can be done uh, help with making strategies that particularly uh, the many small and medium-sized enterprise members uh, can uh, apply in, in their respective companies uh, and then connect all these individual companies uh, in the ecosystem to, to benefit from working together. Yeah, yeah that's, that was actually my follow-up question because one of the other areas, exactly as you pointed out, was... Uh, on the technology side, and that's exactly what we're talking about today. So it's interesting that you you raised that up there, and um, and also with the initiatives that you mentioned, how to try to change that is also quite interesting. How they work cohesively as a system in Singapore is something that is, I think, is quite fascinating. It's very well coordinated and and planned out. And um, I think uh, you mentioned also, for instance, the Sea Transport Industry Digital Plan. Mm. That's a long word. Yeah but where they are focusing specifically on having training. It's Skills Future Singapore together with the IMDA and the, you guys at the SSA are involved, MPA and so on. And you're trying to put together training, I believe, for, uh, for uh, smaller companies with regards to getting orientated in uh, the digital universe. But maybe you could say a little bit about that. Yeah, I, I think you're spot on when, when you're saying that there is a, a plan and an overall strategy uh, that we move towards that guides us. Uh, and then within that strategy plan, there are a lot of different um, elements that are relevant for whether one then wants to pursue training, uh, technology development, uh, investments in technologies, or whichever area it is uh, that is of relevance. And, and one such example uh, that is interlinked then with another uh, is the recent co-creation of a uh, digital acceleration index. Um, so as, as the name suggests, it is an index that uh, takes root in work that the SSA, uh, MPA, and IMDA had uh, commissioned to, uh, to run via BCG. That was a lot of acronyms, but uh, we'll, we'll, we'll maybe get back to those. Yeah, I think you can uh, just use the opportunity to, to explain them, actually. Okay. So um, MPA had uh, commissioned, the Maritime Port Authorities had commissioned, uh, together with IMDA, a, a piece of work that um, the, the consulting uh, company, Boston Consulting, uh, had worked on with also input from the Singapore Shipping Association, uh, that allowed uh, so more than 200 uh, maritime companies in Singapore via a survey to give input to where they stand today in digital adoption. Um, and another element of that uh, is a uh, three-year plan where then the same companies can score themselves in terms of where would they like to be digitally uh, in three years and out of that then comes this digital acceleration index uh, where not only uh, can, can companies see where they stand today and, and where they individually would like to be, 
but they can benchmark themselves against peers in their industry vertical. So if you're a ship owner, uh, then you can see how you score against other ship owners if you're a ship manager and so on and so forth. So that's a very powerful tool, first of all, to get focused. Um, and, and secondly, for uh, MPA and, uh, and, and other uh, players on, on the periphery, if you like, of the industry, such as indus- uh, institutes of higher learning, uh, to determine where should they uh, try to contribute. So if, for instance, the Digital Acceleration Index shows that uh, on average the industry is light on competence, uh, then obviously the IHLs will have a role to play in determining uh, how to build that uh, competence uh, deficit and what kind of map is, is required to respond to that deficit. Um, And the other end then of that digital acceleration index tied to that is uh, a tool uh, that we call the Maritime Digitalization Playbook. So essentially, it is a strategy playbook, how to write a digital strategy. The Singapore Shipping Association has 480 members, many of whom are small and medium-sized enterprises. It is not core business. It is not natural to many small and and medium-sized enterprises to make digital strategies. This, in fact, is for many very far from their comfort zone. Uh, And hence, we we decided that it might be of good use to the members to help them uh, walk those first five steps, to help them determine within their area of interest, matching their own digital Uh, absorption competence, what should they do, which are the companies that are uh, good at developing the type of tools that they see match with their core business, Um, which are the companies that have taken the steps that this particular SME thinks would be relevant for for it to take, and who can it go and talk to about those uh, next steps that it should take. Thank you. That's uh, very interesting, Stan. I will just head over to you, Magnus, and um, because uh, there was a little clue there that uh, a digitalization strategy is certainly not something that is uh, alienated to you. Um, can you take us a little through veracity and uh, what veracity is and uh, what kind of opportunities it uh, it gives and, and how it can sort of be driving also innovation? Certainly. Um, thank you for the question, uh, Anders. Um, so Veracity is um, a data platform and ecosystem owned and developed by DNV GL, um, which is a big player in the maritime industry. Um, and just to give some background on why we have developed Veracity. So it's, of course, good to note that DNV GL has been assuring assets, ships, rigs, etc. in terms of integrity, structure, uh, safety for 150 years. So that's physical assets. And now the world moves into managing those assets uh, with due care, with digital properties. And we need to start to treat data as an asset. And of course, we need to build tools to be able to do that for ourselves for the next 150 years. So we are building technology to be able to manage data and services that concern assets so you can operate and manage them better. Um, That's one thing that uh, Veracity sells, technology that is marinized and ready to use. So you don't need to build it yourself. As Stan said, most ship companies are quite small and they don't have the power or IT competence to go out and build everything themselves. 
The other part that we bring to the table is, of course, um, an ecosystem of, of players and trust into the ecosystem that can help you with. So uh, when the future is digital, uh, which is the buzzword we're addressing, uh, it means, of course, that you will do a lot of uh, processes, uh, data-driven and digital, instead of the way you do them today. So there will be a lot of exchanges of um, services, data, and you need to have you need to be able to do that in an efficient manner. You need to be able to do it with trust, so that um, so that the recipient of a, an insight or value can act on on that behalf without being uh, scared, scared of what might happen on the downside. And, and these two things is what we're trying to bring together with a technology as a data platform and an ecosystem of validated service provider already integrated. Magnus, uh, can you give some uh, specific examples of how sort of a, a big company can benefit from Veracity and what kind of opportunity it gives uh, a smaller company, a, a startup? Sure, I can. I can um, maybe even try to merge it. Merge it. So we're working, for example, with um, a ship owner called Clavenes. Um They are looking at reducing their operational costs and getting more insights accurate more real time about how their uh, company performance is so they need to they want to combine a lot of information from their ships and their software to be used into solving processes and decision making on shore and on board and then they need a data platform like cloud technology to do so and we have it ready to be bought as a service with everything included as a subscription um, works from start um, which is fine that only enables but of course, they want to work with, for example, startups that give them added insights. They work with the companies like um, Arundo, which is a Norwegian but global startup company that do machine learning and analytics. So we have them already integrated with that company. So it uh, is validated by us. Our architectures are integrated and Clavenes can work with that company uh, without having to do any extra implementation. Um, so it's the distance from the startup to the business or the big players become smaller and they don't have to go out and navigate the jungle of startups. They can rather come to us and we can help them navigate that jungle and, and provide them with uh, companies that the NVGL has uh, validated. Stan, I would like to, to pass that torch to you because I know that you in your role as um, an executive group, you have a lot of experience with uh, startups and uh, and so forth. Um, can you maybe you can elaborate a little on on the role uh, startups will play in the the digital transformation? What we are trying to do within the uh, shipping association to better facilitate uh, adoption of some of the solutions that startup companies inherently have the capability to do, and and often by nature of their larger corporate structures. Uh, corporate companies uh, often fail in is essentially to bring the two of them together, uh, to give them a, a joint mission and to give them a, a platform of communication. Um, so what we have attempted, uh, unfortunately, so far once, uh, and, and the second uh, time was uh, was brought to halt because of the uh, COVID-19 situation we sit in now, is to have uh, tech and, and demo days uh, where uh, new companies, startup companies, scale-up companies um, can spend a day together with uh, the members of the SSA. Uh, so we bring a couple of hundred members into a, a conference room and, uh, and give the startups uh, the possibility to pitch 
uh, to those uh, corporates. Uh, and, and from there, it's then their uh, opportunity to make bilateral agreements and, and, and pursue uh, possibilities of, of collaboration. So that's a very tangible way of, of trying to work together. Of course, uh, within executive ship management, um, we are doing our own uh, technology scan. We are seeking to determine who can be our future partners. Uh, and, and that is, as the world looks right now, a, a mix of uh, large companies that uh, sit very well with the large um, uh, uh, machineries and and, and uh uh, and pieces of equipment we have on board the ships, uh, and it ranges all the way down to fairly nimble and small uh, startup companies uh, that are trying to scale into the maritime community. Some of them come from uh, other technology backgrounds, from other business backgrounds, but have found a uh, way to, to, to be relevant within the maritime uh, ecosystem. Um, and we seek to determine where we can work together with them in a way that makes sense for for our company. Yeah, I think that gave me an association, Paul, because you have been quite uh, taken with the way that uh, sort of the technology can go across different uh, sectors. Um, do you care to elaborate on what uh, Stan is saying here? Well, I think... Um... One of the things that we sort of noticed over the past, I guess, decade is that there are so massive disruptive changes happening in the maritime industry, much more now than for the last previous decades combined. And it is because of digital technology as well as autonomy coming as well and, and uh, obviously also clean uh, fuel and so on. And this is sort of... Um, uh, uh, pushing companies uh, much more so than before. And it's also much, not, not as much hardware maybe as before. Now a lot of the efficiency gains can be have within software, which means that the thresholds for starting to work in the maritime industry is maybe a little bit lower now uh, for several companies than before because you don't need to make those initial investments into machinery and such. So uh, that is an interesting development, which also leads to it's more difficult to get an overview of who the stakeholders are. You might have have companies that have been working within developing a platform for supervising a hospital or something. Certainly with some changes, that platform can be used to supervise and run a harbor with some modifications, obviously. The point being that it's difficult to know who the new stakeholders are, and which is why we are trying to map uh, that these new segments now uh, to make that link between Norway and Singapore more easier. Um, and I think uh, for when it comes to digital in particular, I think one thing I wanted to ask Magnus about is, is that we, and also you stand for, uh, for that matter, it is very complex. Uh, and a lot of the small companies don't have a chief digital officer like some of the big ones have. It's difficult to get an overview. Where should we start making an effort? Where should we put our resources in this area? And so to do these uh, uh, sort of training uh, is very useful. And you, Magnus, you made a map for me once when we had one of these discussions where you basically drew up and you put numbers on the various kinds of areas of operations that could be digitalized. And you told me you hear a lot about buzzwords like predictive maintenance and all these kinds of things. But in fact, if you look at the total picture of things, it only constitutes a, a sort of a smaller part of maybe the whole picture. So maybe you'd like to elaborate for us on that, Magnus. Yeah, sure. Um, you know, digital as a tool is, is given the premise that you want to improve something. And, and for any company, even a shipping company, it's about typically increasing uh, your top line or bottom line, right? And um, 
if you look at the bottom line, for example, which is a hot potato in shipping, the operational expenditures, uh, typically half of that is uh, related to crew costs, and the rest is a split between administration, management fees, spares, repair, and in there you have maintenance. Um, so my thinking is, of course, that um, instead of focusing on you know this or that topic or this or that tool, uh, and I guess that's probably what your, the playbook of uh, Stan will also address, is that you should rather focus on you know as a company, where are you? Where are your competitors? Where do you believe that you should get an advantage? And and where do you where do you believe that your potential is? So applying the same type of consultancy, if you will, if you like, structured approach to figuring out where to uh, do something, you know, then reach out your arms to a partner and ask for what's inside a toolbox. We cannot uh, have every ship owner or shipping company in the world know equally well what is inside the toolbox. So you need to be smart on partnering to get partners, right? And, you know, I worked as a consultant, management consultant in shipping for, for half a decade, uh, looking at energy efficiency, fleet performance, and these type of things. And the same stuff I advised about to take place almost 10 years ago. You know, it's still not being done or implemented because, you know, the potential is there, but the tools have to a certain degree been lacking fit for purpose. But today they are here. So I think now it's more about, um, uh, you know, spending some time on being good at using tools rather than uh, trying to be um, snappy about uh, being digital or yeah, this type of thing. Stan, you are nodding. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm very much... Uh... Uh, with Magnus here, I, I think the key, first of all, is the core strategy of the company. The key is not the technology. Um, the world is awash with great technology that is improving every day. We can find so many wonderful solutions out there uh, that can be applied. And if we as individual companies do that, we drown in digitalizing uh, our operation we need to be very true to what it is we want to achieve to improve our core business or to build additional businesses adjacent to our core business that maybe over time becomes core business. But that's that's the advanced version, if you like. So I think that the core really is to have a digital strategy that has a purpose to augment the core strategy of the operation uh, and then determine what are the real challenges uh, that the core business struggles with, um, determine very early on what is the competence of the people that are in the core business and what needs to be done to uh, to augment that competence by way of uh, training so that new technology can actually also be used once it's introduced. Um, and I think also a third element to that is um, not to just have a chief, chief digital officer with a with a, a digital mission who works in uh, in isolation within that company, but truly to engage the people that actually run the core business, so that they not just buy into an idea, but they become owners of the idea. They get to become engaged with uh, the challenge on hand, and then apply the technology only. Um, that would be, if, if any little recommendation is to be made, uh, how I would suggest any good company should go about becoming interested in, in technology. So in short, there, there are too many sort of snake oil salesmen out there touting that 
their uh, technology is unique and 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 that uh, you know that'll be the next savior to the bottom line of of your company and my experience has so far been once you deep dive into it well either at the very end uh, there's a a dollar tag to it that's unaffordable and and that doesn't match with uh, the magnitude of the problem that you have um, or it actually doesn't do what it says on the tin. Magnus, you are commenting. Yeah, I just wanted to add, uh, add, um, add, a, add a reflection on, on, on all the stuff that uh, Stan has now pointed to, which I also fully support. And, you know, the chief digital officer, uh, you know, is to me the manifestation of the hype of digital that, you know, it kicked off with uh, buzzwords. It kicked off by having a digital officer that sort of your stakeholders look like you're investing. Um, and to a certain degree or to a large degree also, you know, you have seen that this um, position or that sort of focus has been to, you know, pay core business focus away from it so that you can have someone else fix it on the side of the company, you know. And of course, typically what you see then is adjacent businesses popping up on the side, which is not necessarily a problem. It can be a good opportunity as then alluded to. But at the, end, at the end of the day, what the chief digital officer, that function should do is to be the bridge between IT and business, because that is, you know, where you want the company to uh, thrive to go forward. When the core business side and shipping invites their IT side or their IT partners into the strategic business rooms, that's when you will start to get moving. But as long as you have that gap, you will uh, probably not succeed. Okay, guys, uh, we will soon uh, go into the topic that any podcast these days would uh, touch upon uh, if they respect themselves. But uh, first, um, Magnus, you mentioned your half decade uh, within the shipping industry. And uh, and um, as you said that, I, I reflected because I saw Stan's LinkedIn profile and then I I, I saw that that was uh, more than half a decade. Uh, could you share with us where your impressive uh, CV with, uh, within shipping? Where does the spark uh, come from? Where did you get interested in uh, in shipping? No, it was for Stan, actually. Um, I think like like... Any other story, there's a little bit of emotion to uh, to what one likes to do and certainly what, what I like to do. Um, I come from a, a small community in Denmark where um, my family always lived close to the ocean. Um, so I've always had a physical connection to the ocean. Um, when I was a young teenager, I bought my first boat um, and started uh, sailing in that and fishing and having that uh, emotional connection to the ocean. And... Uh, uh, later on, um, there was this iconic shipping company, AP Moller Maersk, that, that drew my attention via a newspaper ad one day. And I, I thought, this is my chance to at least get in the doors and, and see how it looks on the inside. And, and the rest is history, as they said. Yeah. I, enjoyed, uh, I, I just enjoyed every day um, because you can be part of a mission that is way beyond what an individual otherwise often gets invited to do um, transportation makes a difference in, in this world. It is, uh, it is significant, uh, the dependency that, that we as human beings have on goods being transported around the world is very significant. So some of the challenges one can get as an individual and in the teams, one, one place 
um, are actually of a size where it, it really truly makes it very easy for one to be energized about uh, those problems. Yeah, and I'm sure that those words uh, would be of inspiration of anybody now sitting at home also waiting this uh, crisis to um, to pass by. Uh, Magnus, uh, is it the same with you or do you have any other sort of motivation or spark for getting into this business? Uh, it actually, it is a bit similar um, to the extent that, uh, you know, uh, I'm an engineer and engineering is, a, is a, something that runs in the family, apparently. My father was actually a sailor for many years, so I've heard so many stories and seen so many pictures that I almost grew tired of it when I grew up. Um, and then my older brother, he began in shipping before me, and then, you know, the, almost the rest is history, and I also have the same sort of emotion and feeling towards maritime industry, all the tales and the romance and the stories. I guess it's not necessarily like that anymore, but I still believe that uh, it truly is a community that you feel you belong to and you that look after each other and that it feels like I'm part of something uh, bigger. Yeah, uh, thanks. Paul, uh, I know that you are monitoring uh, the business uh, quite closely now in these times with uh, COVID-19. Uh, maybe you could uh, lead our conversation into that uh, topic. Uh, well, uh, yeah, as you said, we've been doing this temperature measurement, essentially that all our offices around the world are asking the uh, a representative selection of Norwegian companies sitting in these markets what, uh, what COVID-19 is doing to their strategy, to their operations and so on, and how they're trying to cope. And um, as you mentioned, uh, the first episode we did of this podcast, we had a couple of representatives here in Singapore, Norwegian companies present, and we talked to them about this. And um, one of the areas that they were struggling with, and surprisingly, was uh, logistics. And, and uh, there were many reasons for this, uh, getting containers out of China, uh, changing crews when people are sick or quarantined, or could be different regulations across countries and regions. Um, they also mentioned that the crisis would force companies to leapfrog the whole digitalization process. And so for the company that was typically providing software and cloud solutions, which was one of the representatives, they were doing quite well. Uh, so it might be too early, I, I don't know, but how would you say that the crisis is affecting digital innovation and implementation of new technology in the maritime and the shipping industries? What do you, what do you see? Uh, maybe first Stan and then maybe Magnus also could um, yeah, great question. Maybe um, I want to start on, on the side of this to just acknowledge, uh, and, and this is the significant issue at hand, uh, that we, we have uh, crew on our vessels today that uh, cannot get off, uh, who have had their um, contracts uh, extended and, and where currently we don't really have uh, practical solutions to, to get them off the ships. At the same time, we have uh, crew that are, are locked down as, as we are in their homes uh, and can get, not get on the ships, which essentially means um, uh, their paycheck is not coming. So it, this is a real issue. And, and of course, the longer we keep crew on the ships, uh, the more significant the risk we have, both in terms of them being overworked, uh, the, the longing for uh, their families and, and a semblance of connection with them uh, becomes an issue. Uh, so as as an industry, we are working on trying to solve that problem. It is immense uh, because it's an all-of-government problem uh, around the world, of course, um, 
where it's not just a question of getting a ship to a port and getting people off. It's also a question of domestic flights, uh, the whole security aspect of, of leading people from where they are and onto a ship and vice versa. Lots of good work is being done on that. And I, I just want to take time to recognize the incredible efforts and, and sacrifices that these seafarers are making today. Specifically on, on digitalization that then comes out of that, um, I've seen some wonderful solutions short term that are in play today. Uh, and, and we are working on some more longer term ones. If, if we just take time to, to look at a couple of the short-term ones that have been interesting. Then very early on, uh, Wilhelms and Ship Service, and I'm, I'm sure many of you would have seen this, uh, launched a uh, map that where you can, um, with ease, digitally get an overview of what port restrictions uh, are in place, uh, specifically what they are, what requirements are in place for ships that call these ports. And of course, then as, as uh, agencies and operators, we can, uh, take the measures that are required in order to uh, to operate safely through those ports. Uh, we recently had uh, Inmarsat offering uh, 50% discounts on voice calls for, for seafarers in recognition that it is uh, really an issue that, that it's important to get to communicate. Um, we are working in executive ship management with a, a small startup company called Big Yellow Fish, uh, and they are, use, they are operating uh, crew health and, uh, and well-being uh, software on board the ships. They are offering that for free here during this, uh, this period, so that's great to see. I saw recently that there was a um, uh, port IoT solution provider called Rumbit uh, that is uh, operating with sort of smart bracelets where you can do perimeter fencing, if you like. So if if you wear one of these and you are close to another person who wears it, let's imagine on a port, uh, then you actually get a, a notification on your watch uh, or your smart bit there, and it vibrates. So it, it gives you the warning, don't get any closer to, to this perimeter area, uh, and they can communicate uh, to each other. So that's just four active uh, examples of uh, companies that have done something very specific uh, to to actually help us out in this more difficult situation. In in my organization, we are looking very much uh, at what we can do to uh, respond to the fact that we can't get onto our ships. Uh, we can't have navigation and communication uh, service companies very easily access the ships. We can't have class surveyors very easily access the ships. There are a lot of restrictions around the world when it comes to that. So how do we support uh, the necessity to keep the operation open? Um, and, and that to us has meant a, uh, uh, a recognition that we can actually, once the world normalizes again, operate in a very efficient way without necessarily interfering physically uh, as much as we have been accustomed to in the past with the operation on board the ships. Um, so I would certainly like to, to suggest that it would be uh, a worthwhile area to dive into standardizing how you can do remote surveys, remote audits, remote inspections. And, and when I say standardize, I mean, um, if, if you take our company, we, uh, we do business with a lot of different class societies, as an example. And... Um, it, it is not economically practical if we have to have a remote survey solution 
hardware and software for class society number one and another solution for class society number two and so on and so forth. So if we could standardize that approach, that would be a wonderful step in the direction of cost reductions. Yes, and Magnus, that would be the cue for you, I guess, with the remote service. Yeah, so of course, um, the class part or class, uh, classification society part of our company um, has naturally been on, have been lucky enough to reap the benefit of having had a um, five-year-long already digital strategy where um, features and capabilities to uh, remote inspect and survey the ships um, has been around for quite some years. Uh, so that is, of course, something that is both beneficial for, for ourselves and, and our customers. Um, I, I think there's been um, more than 10,000 of those already. I don't remember the, the, the full number. But to allude then on, on what Stan says, you know, the, if we build on the standardization, it's not oh, the standardization is the, the key point here to actually get digital going. So it's good with COVID giving a force to give uh, access to the ships. Uh, because at the end of the day, everyone, all the stakeholders are basically after the same information. And today we are uh, producing that data in silos. So with standardization, we can reuse data that is related to safety. We can reuse data that is related to um, any type of use case. And that is what is going to then further fuel digitalization, um, which is good because that will take down the cost. And uh, that's the other thing that COVID, of course, has has made a big uh, impact on is that uh, revenues are down. So the willingness for ship companies today to invest CapEx is, yeah, it's not necessarily there. That's bad for everyone. It's also especially bad for the startup community. Uh, but on the other side, it also opens up, I think, uh, an opportunity, a change of mindset, because it means that companies that don't want to invest CapEx upfront, they are more lenient towards signing up for subscription models, which we are used to with Netflix, et cetera, in everyday life, all inclusive models that you can sign off when you're not using the software or tool anymore. Uh, so now is the time for shipping to get used to the uh, software as a service, platform as a service, all inclusive models, um, where, them, where of course in, a, in, in exchange, companies have to be prepared to maybe sign up for 12 months like we do in, in personal life. Uh, if you're going to drop a big chunk of, of, of CapEx investments. Um, and, and, and further to that also, I think, uh, even though CapEx maybe investments are down in shipping and will be down for some time, uh, COVID has definitely put IT under pressure in all ship, uh, ship companies, ship owners, ship managers, classification societies. Um, so with the coming transparency requirements for emissions, etc., you know, you will have a, a sandwich there which will require companies to in invest some more in IT, even though they maybe don't want to. And then probably what will pop out of that, which I hope, is that, of course, the business side will ask strategically, how can we use these investments, not only for compliance and remote purposes, but how can we use it to actually answer what we talked about in the beginning, the business goals and, 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 and propositions that we are after as, as business entities. Thank you, Magnus. I will just ask you to sort of round up uh, this uh, this segment with COVID, uh, Paul, and give a reflection of that before we have to go in for landing uh, uh, in the episode as, uh, as a whole. Well, um, I think it's quite interesting to hear also exactly how uh, you can get uh, technical solutions within uh, the maritime segment that actually helps uh, solve issues that 
are presently limiting you because of the sort of the virus. We are we're also working with health tech companies, um, identifying relevant technologies within that area and introducing it to the hospitals here in Singapore. And it's quite amazing how quickly some of these smaller companies are at turning around, coming up with solutions in the middle of a crisis when there is such a need for it. And um, I'm sure that in the beginning of the crisis, we were thinking that, all right, this is going to blow past and we're going to go back to normal. I think most people are now acknowledging we're not going to go back to normal. Uh, there will be some uh, lasting changes to how we conduct our business. And, uh, and obviously, digital technology in any kind of sector is going to play a, a massive part in that. So I think that's one of the main takeaways. The crisis has actually just helped us leapfrog that development, if you can put it that way. Yeah, thank you. Then we need to round up our conversation, but I will uh, have a round or uh, ask you around the table what your main takeaways are from our uh, episode. And um, Magnus, I will start with you. Thank you, Anders. Um, and my main takeaways, basically, that it's, it seems that there are some consensus around this podcast. I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing, but um, we at least believe that digital will 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 um, revolutionize and um, the way we work and is already being fueled by covid uh, as i said in the beginning i think very simple we need to stop looking at digital as a switch as a tool um, we need to combine it with the business goals and start in that end um, and i also think uh, one thing i didn't mention is if we, when we do that we need to be we need to always think that we will ne not necessarily work the way we do today tomorrow so whatever tool or things or problems we are addressing it has to be looked at across functions or across um, competencies or roles and i think if we start to look at our companies internally in silo we will continue down the road so that's sort of my my call for action to don't look at it as a switch and look at it from well, not how things look today okay. we're open for how it can look tomorrow yeah thank you magnus well, Stan, is it uh, just total agreement around the table here, or do you see some differences in uh, approaches and uh, views also? Well, I, I think there were a couple of topics we could have discussed that might have been more controversial than, than the ones we chose. Um, I'm sitting thinking here that there's a big space to fill around uh, where we go, bringing autonomy into vessel operation, and that, that seems to always be a, a controversial issue. Uh, there's definitely a huge discussion around uh, decarbonization. Uh, is it technology we bring in or is it, uh, don't misunderstand me, but in inverted commas, just a question of finding uh, the future fuel? Um, will we see uh, 3D printed spare parts uh, take off as, as quickly as some in the industry hope? Um, so if we had time, we could probably find more controversy around topics like those. What they have in common, though, is that at the heart of them, they go into the operation of the shipping business. We might have technology solutions that we need to apply in order to bring them to life. But at the end of the day, they're all about the actual improvement or transformation of the operation of the maritime ecosystem. Um, and that I think we had in common in, in our discussion today. Um, I think it's a incredibly important that we we stay curious uh, that we always try to find out what's on the other side not just ask 
our friends within the maritime infrastructure and, and, and ecosystem, what they see, but reach out into adjacent or completely foreign uh, industries to determine what we can learn over there. Uh, that will, without a doubt, bring some uh, new technologies into the maritime sphere as well. Um, maybe a bit closer to home, I think it's extremely important that we are open to play uh, together, to play with others, to learn from others, sometimes play together with our competitors and, and make uh, make friends out of those and, and co-create before we go out and apply uh, the solutions we find into our own companies. Often um, shipping companies are not large enough themselves uh, to create the solutions they need. If, if on average a, sh a ship owner only has 10 or 20 ships, um, and that might be even on the high side, then it's quite difficult to have the muscle to bring that to bear in a way where you can make the technology investments where, where that uh, makes a difference. So I think playing together is is really important. Uh, and, and rounding up on that, maybe if you want to, to co-create, then uh, come and join the uh, Singapore Shipping Association's uh, Digital Transformation Committee, because that's really all about co-creating uh, solutions. Super, thank you. You mentioned uh, 3D printing and decarbonization, and and by that you probably pointed ahead to other episodes of this uh, podcast, and maybe some of you would want to come back also to uh, to speak about those. And um, Paul, it seems that this is a big topic that we haven't really covered uh, in full yet. What are your final reflex re reflections? Well, I think um, the topic has been quite well reflected upon by, by Magnus and Sten. I think uh, what also Sten mentioned with the uh, autonomy and, uh, and the 3D printing is an area of digitalization that I think we didn't obviously cover today. We didn't have time. But it, it's something that we should bring up in a later episode. The maritime industry is a very important industry for Singapore, for Norway, and uh, and it, um, it, it would be justifiable to, to bring that up in another episode, I think. Thank you, Paul, and thank you to Stan Lund from Singapore Ship Association and Magnus Lande from Veracity, DNVGL. Uh, join us soon for a new episode of Enbus Talks. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to Enbus Talks, a podcast from the Norwegian Business Association in Singapore, with your host, Anders Hegre. This episode was produced by Linda Hesselberg. To find out more, go to enbus.org.sg and join us for our next podcast shortly. Thank you for listening. Norway means business.